Best-selling author and dating expert Matthew Hussey is back on the podcast, this time with my wife, Vailana Marcus, to talk about everything relationship. I can't wait to share this one with you. This podcast is brought to you by Blue Blocks, Blue Blocking Sunglasses. Go to blueblocks.com slash amp for 15% off. This podcast is also brought to you by Lucy Tobacco-Free Gum. Go to lucy.co slash amp for 20% off. And lastly, Onnit. Onnit.com slash Aubrey for 10% off everything always. Last time I did a podcast with Matthew Hussey, I was open and available to new partners. So a lot of the podcast was about dating. It was about meeting new people, about how to put yourself in the most advantageous position physically, mentally, emotionally, to meet somebody and meet somebody that you could cultivate a really meaningful relationship with. In this podcast, I'm with my wife. So things worked out, all thanks to Matthew Hussey. Now, I can't quite say that, but I loved the podcast we did last time, and I love the podcast that we did this time, because as Matthew always does, he turns the tables on us, he asks us questions, we ask him questions, we dive in, we figure stuff out, we pull out metaphors from the ether, it's just a great podcast with a good friend and a real subject matter expert. I can't wait to share it with you, Matthew Hussey and Vilana Marcus on this episode. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. So one of the biohacks that is absolutely not debatable is keeping blue light out of your eyes when it starts to get dark. And the blue light comes from all the artificial light in our homes. Now I write about this in my book and pretty much every individual who writes about sleep writes about this because the problem is that the blue light then actually triggers those daylight sensors in our circadian rhythm, which actually suppresses the production of melatonin, which is the hormone that helps us fall asleep. So eliminating or at least restricting the blue lights that you're letting wash over your eyes at night is going to have a huge impact. So that's where blue blocks comes in. Now, most of these blue light blocking glasses, they look, I don't know, like not that sexy, like not that sweet. Blue blocks really took it to the best place possible and made these glasses look really good, feel really good, high quality, and just as effective as anything you will find anywhere else. So I highly recommend this product. It's phenomenal. Go to blueblocks dot com slash amp that's b-l-u-b-l-o-x dot com slash amp or use the discount code amp for 15 percent off at checkout once again blueblocks.com forward slash amp for 15 percent off our next sponsor is lucy and lucy is one of the best delivery mechanisms for nicotine it's a nicotine gum that's not like nicorette or something like that it tastes great and it delivers nicotine with the purpose being to utilize this as a nootropic, as a way to actually enhance brain function. And if you read my book, Own the Day, I talk about all of the different ways that nicotine is a beneficial nootropic. Now, of course, cigarettes are awful for you. It's a terrible way to get nicotine. It does so much damage to the body. But this gum is a different delivery mechanism, and I think you'll find it incredibly valuable and accretive if this is something that you're called to. So the flavors are wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. They have four milligrams of nicotine. There's also a new cherry ice flavor. So check it out if this is something you're called to. Of course, if you're not called to utilize nicotine at all, then this isn't for you, and that's absolutely fine. So 20% off any order at lucy.co with the promo code AMP, that's L-U-C-Y 
amp.co with the promo code AMP and you'll get 20% off. And also there's a disclaimer with any tobacco products and that's the warning. This product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. And of course, from my own perspective, anytime you dance with any of these different types of drugs or chemicals or plants, make sure that you're driving the ship and the plant, drug, or chemical isn't driving you. And lastly, we have another On It 6 challenge coming in 2021. Registration starts on January 4th. It goes through February 14th. And the idea is to see the total human transformation that's possible by joining the On It 6 program and entering the challenge. You're going to get $6,000 in cash, $1,000 in store credit, access to all On It 6 programs for one male winner and one female winner. And once again, this isn't all about getting jacked or losing weight. It's not one of those challenges. This is about total human optimization. This is about how this changes your orientation to your life. Because the foundation of our life is our physical body. And when we really start paying attention to that and nourishing it with the movement that it absolutely craves, a lot of things start to shift. And that's what we're excited about celebrating right along with you. So check it out. As I said, registration has begun. Go to onit.com slash Aubrey and you'll get a link to the registration. And I hope to see you as a winner. Like I hope that you do that. But either way, if you're going through the challenge, you're guaranteed to be a winner because you're nourishing your body in the way that it really needs to move, to be free, to be healthy. So I encourage everybody to check it out, onit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Matthew Hussey and Vilana Marcus. Matthew Hussey, my brother. We're back. We're back. <laughs> and we've gained a person. <laughs> we've added one. Yeah. We've plus one. And this is, this is now a different conversation because my wife, Ilana Marcus, is right here. I'm so happy. I have no idea what, we're, what I'm in for today. I know. But we didn't I, just, even, I didn't even give you a clue. Nothing. But you were like, let's do one with, with you and Vi. And I was like, yes. <laughs> that sounds great. And I'm drinking this some kind of special potion That's right. that I would only get around you, by the way. <laughs> it's part of my brand that special potions of mushroom elixirs yeah. and cacao. Yeah, yeah that comes spells. with me. I haven't inquired enough as to what's in it. So if I start talking gibberish Listen, in 10 we, minutes. I'm just going to be buying time for about 30 minutes till it kicks in. Then we're getting real weird. That's why we didn't tell you anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, shout out to Ben and Azria hosting us here at the Second thank Mountain. You, this place you. is incredible. Um, all right, so here's what I want to talk about. Vi and I did a podcast that talked a lot about our union together, and it talked about a little bit how we came together specifically. But what I want to talk about is there's so many of us, and even you know when we did the podcast before, a lot of it was talking about the actual process of finding, you know, finding your mate and finding yeah. your partner. And this is an area of expertise, and this is something where you know even Vi and I have had some if depending on how how far back you go had some like definitely mixed success some troubles some trials some tribulations some challenges some paths that we went down that we certainly should have gone down some paths that were incredibly productive and beautiful to go down ultimately didn't lead to fruition mm. different categories i would say because there's you know in some way you can be you know grateful for everything but in other ways you're like wow, that was, I definitely blew it on that one. Mm. You know what I mean? And, mm. and so it's this kind of interesting learning process. And I think the goal of this podcast would be to expedite the learning process with all of our cumulative wisdom about 
how to sort through both find attract you know a new mate and then know when it's time to leave fast enough that you've gained the maximum amount of lesson but bailed out of there before you're putting yourself through unnecessary suffering and waste of time this is so important and difficult <laughs> but it, well some would say it's not actually difficult i think that's the interesting we'll talk about that but mm -hmm. some would say it's it's difficult until it's not mm -hmm. um but my god is this important because it, you're dealing with uh time you know there's that great in the movie interstellar um oh, you know yeah. michael oh, yeah. Yeah. plays the, the physicist relativity, yeah. yeah and he says he says something like i'm an old physicist i'm not afraid of death i'm afraid of time and uh i when i think i've ever talking about dating or relationships my relationship with that subject, I don't know if people quite realize how how profound I feel it to be because I'm not talking about dating tips. Mm. To me, I'm talking about the most precious resource we have, which is where do you direct your energy with the time that you have? And that's what really what really messes people up. And you know, I deal with a lot, I deal with people dating in their 20s, I deal with people in their 50s, 60s, 70s. I mean, everybody. Um the hardest part for people is often the regret mm -hmm. of why did I spend so much time with that person? You know, why was I with them for 10 years of like 10 of my best years? I gave to someone that shouldn't have had them or someone I knew was not right. My, my gut in year one told me yeah. this wasn't the right thing. Some people, their gut in week one tells them. And the, you know, I heard somewhere that, you know, relationships often end the the same way they began. You know, someone in year three, they say, I just can't deal with them going out and drinking every night and Something coming home late. And you're like, they were doing that on your first five <laughs> dates. Like, what did you, you, this isn't a surprise. Mm -hmm. It's something you decided to pay attention to in year three. Mm. So I think that the, I didn't know we were going to do cover this today, but this is like a huge subject. Yeah, yeah, it's the meat of it. I mean, what would you say from from your lessons in that? Because there's that that point of there's growth from the learning, mm. and then there's that point of diminishing returns. And so, you know, familiar with that. <laughs> so take us through like some of the ways that you got stuck and that you got trapped in yeah. situations where you extended your time beyond the point where there was growth and into mm. that realm of diminishing returns. Yeah, I think my tendency is to have a certain level of devotion. And I think we're always projecting onto our partners always, whatever the ideal relationship that we can see. So I was so attached to the future outcome of some, some future state of what the relationship could be instead of what was really in the present, like how it was like I was reaching so far into the future that I wasn't fully acknowledging what was present mm. and how difficult it was. And I think also, I think I also just was, it was like habituated because I had never known stability in love before. It was always very chaotic and, you know, a lot of really difficult emotions and experiences to move through, like betrayal and, and stuff like that. So um, I think that I had a desire for redemption hmm. because it would go so bad, you know, like if I could fix this, you know, and I love this person so much, so like it's worth it. 
And it just, you know, I, I, as I was notorious for having about like two year cycles where it would be the two years that I'm absolutely devoted. And then something just shifts in me where I'm really seeing more clearly where everything is out of alignment. And I think what could have helped me to, you know, not go through those same patterns is if I just had more self-awareness and better boundaries and like enough honoring of myself to not stick, you know, to not stick in something that was so difficult, no matter how much I loved. Like I, I yeah, there's a, there's a lot I could have told myself from me sitting here now, you know, then, but I think you've it. so I think you've exposed a trap. I think I can fix this. Mm. That's got to be a trap, and I think I can redeem the insults that I've received. That's another trap. So I think we've exposed like two traps here. Yeah, there's there's well, there's the problem of misplaced energy, right? We we have a certain amount of energy to give, especially in an area like our love lives where we're really we want to give energy. It's not like going to the gym. Right? <laughs> Some people naturally want to go to the gym because they're kind of driven that way. But a lot of people, it's a chore. Mm. Love tends not to be one of those things that's a chore for people. It's something that people kind of, they want it. They're hungry for it. They want to find a, a partnership with someone. They feel like, God, this vacation's great, but it'd be even better if I was sharing it with someone. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's a natural thing. And uh, so it's, we, it's much more rare they say this vacation's great but i really wish i was working out <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some people exactly. are like that i'm a freak like that right, and right, sometimes right. they'll do you that freak. <laughs> but you've learned to love that part of life right. right and i so the so the problem is we have this energy and one of the one of i think the most sort of you know and we can debate how much people need to learn to manage on their own be independent love themselves and so on that's of course a huge part of it but when people are single and they want to find companionship, that's one of the saddest things is that they have all of this energy to give mm. and they don't know where to give it. It's not the same as the energy you give to your brother, your mother, your family, your friends. It's it's a different kind of energy. And it's like having drunk too much coffee and you've got this energy and where do you put it? And it's that's the feeling I think people have. And I've, my God, I've felt that. and. So when we find someone, there's that energy already that's trying to find mm-hmm. a home. Mm. And if we're not being scrutinizing about where the right home is for that, it just hones in on whatever is in front of us. And of course, we tend to, we tend to care more about the things we invest in. Mm-hmm. So once we start now really investing in something, it, it becomes a little self-fulfilling in our mind both on the level of I've worked really hard on this. So it mu- it's like a sending a signal to our mind. So it must be important. This person must be special. Look at all the time I'm spending. Hmm. And that in itself becomes kind of dangerous because that then leads to a different kind of valuing of the investment, which is the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. And we keep putting good energy after bad because, well, I've already been in it five years. I've been trying at this relationship five years, giving up now. What would that mean? What would I have to admit to make a left turn now? So it's almost so that, like you're, you're tr- it, not almost, it's exactly like you're trying to redeem the time you've already spent. That's your sunk cost, that's the a time you've invested. You're trying to redeem it by making it work. Well, if I just can turn this one domino over to the other side, flip this Othello coin back over to the light side, then at that point, 
you know, the whole chain is is worth it. And it's, it's all it's all validated. And combine all of that with, you know, all of us here at this table are driven, ambitious people who, you know, we'd like, we go after things in life. So when you're that kind of person as well, the idea that you can't fix it mm. becomes an <laughs> egoic kind of thing. Like, what do you mean? I can't, I can make this work, you know? Yeah. So what? They're on the other side of the world. So what? They have a job that means they can never see me. So what? I, I just need to learn how to deal with that because that's the next, you know, yeah. like that's my challenge right now. And we sometimes take on the wrong challenges. Yeah. Like just because it's a challenge, it doesn't mean it's one worth doing. <laughs> For sure. And there's like a tremendous sacrifice of the self to just be so committed to something that doesn't work. It's like hugely, sac you know, if, if, if we're a little bit more clear about our values, you know, for our own personal life as sovereign beings going into a relationship that way, I think that that can kind of, you know, like help things from the start. Because otherwise there's, there's such an immense sacrifice. There is. In your sovereignty. Yeah. And there if, is. And, and people, agency. and I've watched, I've, my God, I've been in, in uh, relationships before where I feel like I lost myself and thought, that you, but it's almost, it doesn't become clear to you until afterwards the extent to which mm. you lost yourself. And then you look back and you cringe and you're like, what was, <laughs> how did that happen? What was I doing? But when you're in it, it is a kind of drunken state and you will convince yourself of, of crazy things, you know, I should be doing this. I no, you like your family sees it. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is not okay. You don't get it. I'm not, and now you start to isolate from the people that you start to double down on your choice. Yeah, and it's interesting. It starts with this slightly hubristic, egoic idea of like, I am the one that can fix this situation. I am the one that can alchemize. It. I am the one that can make this work. And then the more it doesn't work, the more you start to doubt yourself. And you don't say, no, no, it's the situation that's unworkable. You're like, I'm a failure. Something's yeah. wrong Something's with me. wrong with me because I know that this is possible, but it's just my fault. Well, and I think that the, the backdrop on which all of this is set is a very confused set of ideas from, you know, the romantic ideal of finding that person who's going to complete us who's going to be like we're going to meet them and everything that didn't make sense is going to make sense and all of that and then you know and half of people say that's that's going to happen and then the other half say you the reason you're not finding anyone is because you believe all of that and you need to get more real about what a relationship really is it's a mm. place where two people come and they work on it and they invest and it's not easy but you know, you, you work on it and you make it something beautiful. You choose that person. I think then we struggle between these two things. I, I you know, I, I keep for years, I've wanted to make a video and I haven't made it because I always, I struggle with it in some way. <laughs> like I struggle with the kind of concept of it and what to say. And by keep thinking for years, I've said, I'm going to make a video called, what do you do with the the 70% perfect partner. Mm. And I think that's, that's the part that so many people find themselves in is with someone that's, that's great. And this is a conversation we've had, you know, personally here. Yep. Me, you and I have had this conversation because 
I believed that the only thing that existed in the world was the 70% partner, give or take 20%, whatever. But there was, there was not that there was a hundred out of a hundred, like get the fuck out of here. I'm, 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 you know, I never liked math, but I believe in math, you know, like, (laughs) and I understand that the mathematic probability of that happening, it just doesn't make sense to me. I've never seen it before. I hadn't seen it externally. I hadn't found it myself. So I was like, you know what, like, this is the world that we're in. So then it's a matter about choosing which percentage points, which categories you want to max out and which ones you're willing to take a sacrifice on. And I lived in that world. And then my solution to that problem was polyamory. Because then at that point, I could get people with a variety of different, you know, different categories that I, that I that could max out a certain category and really inspire me. But there could be deficiencies in other categories. But I thought by creating a Frankenstein's monster of three to four to I don't know how many it would have taken ultimately, because I was never quite fully satisfied. Yeah. That was a lot to do with my own need for validation and, and issues that were you know, coming from my own self-love. But the idea was this Frankenstein's monster solution, where I was like, okay if i can get enough people i will be fully complete and satisfied because i can source it from there of course it was an incredibly torturous process going through that my own human nature and jealousies (laughs) and all of this i would be a wreck by the way (laughs) you you already even with all of the things you describe as difficult about it i'm like i would be it would ruin me (laughs) yeah i don't know how you did it it was a it was a grand experiment and it was fucking beautiful in a lot of ways and it's not like it's not like that concept actually was the part that that caused it not to work there was something to be said for you could just experience all of the things that you're looking for in partnership just with many loves and many different people now there was a lot of logistical challenges there was jealousies amongst your partners and time, time there was is... an immense amount of time there was oh, immense amount of imagine. conflict resolution these were the these were the costs that i was willing to pay what i could never ultimately overcome was the deep human insecurity and jealousy of my sweetheart being with another man and as much as i tried to work on it and so you never felt like you because you obviously dealt with it i dealt with but it you didn't ever feel like you got to a place of i'm at peace with this no i mean for brief moments you know i could burst into a place of peace but it would be temporary like you know someone who sucks a helium balloon and their voice gets high for a little while right. like yeah your voice is high for a little while but you can't suck helium forever <laughs> like because you also don't strike me as a man that's built that way do you know what i mean right. like uh, the people obviously they there are all sorts of different people in this world and they have different boundaries and so on but you you are sort of that typical you know we share the same publisher in karen rinaldi and mm-hmm. You know, she describes you as like the the reason she fell in love with you is because it's just you had this man that walked in the door that immediately you're like, this is an alpha kind of, (laughs) you know, certain kind of caveman-esque guy. But then, you know, who from her point of view, she's like that had her almost immediately like put you, you know, like keep your arm's length. And then you start speaking Hmm. and there's this whole gentle, compassionate, spiritual, loving side of you that comes out. But that when i see that like that alpha side of you i'm like how did that that side of you doesn't seem like it would even be built to deal with and it was that was the challenge right like i had to overcome that constantly i had to overcome that that part of me that wanted to just 
rip my shirt off and go into a frenzied rage like a mm. grizzly bear or an elephant and must and just fucking freak <laughs> the fuck out and start flipping over tables you know like right. there was that part i was right. like settle down wild mad yeah. elephant <laughs> like it's okay <laughs> but that was always there and i never i never really i never really got to the end of that and that was a problem and, and i you know i would even talk to you know different mentors i remember one of the mentors i talked to at a certain point i was really struggling you know because my partner Whitney she got with a really sexually aggressive lover and it was just tearing me apart mm. and he goes this is great this is your opportunity to be in submission to him and I was oh like my god even that word I was like <laughs> what fuck you're right but I don't like this at all but it was like yeah like everything she's doing he's doing to her he's doing to you and the invitation is submission and surrender and i I was like i was like i'll be like i'm out (laughs) that's the thing though is there's like there there are you gained so much wisdom so much growth so many things from those experiences and i can absolutely say the same for myself the place that i sit in now is how much can you grow and learn through love and a container that actually is truly serving of you thriving as your greatest self you know like that's kind of the contrast that let me ask you guys this though you know i forget the term but there's that idea of um the 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 victor the the unreliability of the victor right I, i there's a there's a specific phrase that's used for it but what it's getting at is you know when beyonce talks about like just go after your dreams Right. Beyonce would say that. <laughs> <laughs> she, right. It worked for Beyonce. Yeah. Right. You know, there's a lot of people who come to LA to follow their dreams and the streets are paved with misery and tragic stories of people who it definitely didn't work out for. Yeah. Um, and perhaps should have stayed in, in whatever, you know, cozier job they were in. But I, and so in a sense that, one could make the argument of love that, you know, you guys, from what I understand, there was a certainty this time around about like, you meet this, you know, this person, meet them again, and you go, oh my God, I'm, I am sure of this. And so that then, it's almost like, you can't, I imagine the feeling that comes with that is a realization that I want to scream to the world, everyone should look for this. Everyone should go for this degree of certainty, because this is the thing. I didn't know it was possible. You and I have talked about it yep. prior to this year. You know, is this is this like? Is there going to be a point where I sort of settle for something that's not like it's amazing, but it, I don't have that certainty, and I'm just going to live with that unrest internally? Then you find it, and it's like, wait, everyone, this is the thing. Do you think that it's of the certainty you have is available to everybody? And I struggle with that. I struggle with that question. I don't know. And I'm not I'm not certain. I don't know if the universe is constructed with a grand intelligence in which everybody has somebody that, you know, can actualize them on all of the different categories. Like I've said before with me and Vi, it's like I had a bingo card that had a hundred spots on it and the bingo wheel kept rolling of all our characteristics and trait. And I just hit bingo after bingo after bingo mm. every time, didn't miss a number. Every time a new one came out, it was on my card. 
whoa, what the fuck? How did that happen? Is that going to happen for everybody? I think it's more likely to happen when people have done an immense amount of self-work and have Mm. really gone through their own shadow and their own projections and their own need for validation. And I think Vi and I both had to do that. So that increases the likelihood. Mm. And then, but from there though, you know, what is the likelihood? I'm not sure. However, even to go back to what you're saying, the person who didn't go for their dream and stayed in, you know, stayed in Boise, Idaho and just worked at the ski chalet and, you know, did their thing, they would be tortured by the mm-hmm. idea that they never went for it. Yeah. That they never actually went to LA, gave it a go, yeah. went to the auditions. And maybe it spiraled into, wow, I can't make money and now I'm at the strip club and now I'm like really sacrificing myself. And I'm sure there's some tragic stories that follow that line where people really get lost in you know, drugs and whatever things that are compromising their own morality and, and sense of self. But for the most part, if you go towards your dream but are willing to say like, ah, I gave it a go, you know, and then here's the fallback, I think you're always gonna feel better with the intention and the effort to go for your win and really go for like the A1 reality. And I agree with that. Where, and I'm interested in, in your opinion on this vibe because mm-hmm. I deal with an extraordinary number of women who the calculation becomes different earlier than it typically does for men. Mm. Where if a woman is saying, I want a family and biologically I want that family to be my own, they are faced with these impossible choices mm. of, I, have, I haven't found that person I'm certain of. Mm-hmm. But I also know that time is running out for me biologically to have my own children. Now, the idea of, go, you know, the, the metaphor of going to LA and, fo- you know, going for my yeah. dream would be holding out for the right person. Yeah. But now when there's a, a very real trade going on that's happening that, that, you know, that panic, as we all know, has people often making bad decisions ending up with people perhaps they shouldn't mm-hmm. you know having children with someone that they are now attached to in some way that isn't right for that role yeah do you as as a woman how you know how do you feel about other women who are facing that kind of a dilemma that is one of the hardest answer one of the hardest questions to answer um i know for myself that has been something on my radar you know the i'm 33 you know Mm -hmm. i i still believe i have time i believe in my body i kind of also believe in i i believe that the universe is benevolent and whatever is meant to happen in my life will happen however you know that's a that's a massive life thing and and you know, going into relationship, even when we started this relationship, like I know how important it is for me to be a mother. And that is a, that is an absolute, you know, that's a, that's a absolute need for me in partnership. So to imagine not having, you know, not having a partner and putting myself in the shoes of a woman who feels like they're getting older, who feels like they, I I can incredibly empathize and just feel the stress you know so what would you they, have, what would you have done what would if, you have done let's say we didn't get together you know a few years what went would my by. plan of action be yeah um i probably would have tried to conceive myself yeah you know if if if, if all else failed and i had no other option like because i think you know 
raising children like we are the stewards of their sovereignty. So when you are bringing them into a very chaotic dynamic or something that is, you know, broken or challenging, it's like you're that's that's the life that you are giving to someone else. So just my own core values, you know, I would feel I would want to have the authority in in parenting myself if I didn't feel right with somebody. Yeah. Um I don't know if that's the best answer, but no, that's, I, I, I you know, I think it's a great answer and it's, and it's an important, I actually, and how easy for me to say, but I actually wish more people would ask, would explore what their answer is to that question mm. ahead of time. Yeah. Because I think that it's part mm. of, in what is an extraordinarily difficult thing, part of the antidote to the stress that follows or the panic or the guilt or the regret or whatever it may be. Because it's it almost it's almost like that goal has to on some level, if it's like this is something that's part of my blueprint for my life mm-hmm. that transcends the idea of finding a guy. It It's just that important to me. I want to have this experience or I want to do this. Then there are key questions like, okay, is the way I think I can achieve this feeling or this connection that I want or whatever it may be, is the way I think I'm going to achieve that the only way? Mm-hmm. Or are there multiple ways? Yeah. Is it essential that it's biological? Can it? Can a child be adopted Adoption, and I feel the same yeah. way? Is it, It's almost worth exploring those things. Mm. Or, even, or even what your relationship to it is. The reason for yes. having a child is it selfishly, you know what I mean? Like 100%. really getting deep into what that means. Like for me, I feel like everything that I've gone through in my own personal evolution are powerful tools to be able to pass on to somebody right. else that can help change this world. You know, it's it's less of a, obviously I want it for my own selfish reasons, but it's also, you know, for the greater good. It's yeah. not just because I want to have this thing that I think I own and I think I'm, you know, have the right to have. It's like a carry different- carry my name It's a different, it's a different relationship to it. Me, I, know, a... I never understand that one. <laughs> I always, the narcissistic urge to carry me on. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, that, uh, that's always an odd one to me but that's an interesting point i hadn't actually heard before is the idea of you know with what i know i can enable someone else to make an impact that's needed in the world that's Mm -hmm. a very interesting point because then the whole then the whole i mean it would be an absolutely beautiful thing to be able to give life through my body but if my if my deeper value is what i just said then you know adoption could absolutely because it's the right. it's the it's the bringing up of their life and this is my point is that i f- i wish people would get this this deep with it because mm. that in itself is a really important realization that in a way could liberate one from all the stress the stress of panic. when am i going to meet someone because and then of course another question is do i in my model of this, do I definitely need someone to do this with? Now, some people will say, yes, I'm not, I don't want to do it unless it's in a traditional family unit, Mm -hmm. in which case that's fine. But the traditional family unit actually supersedes your desire for a child in that situation, Mm -hmm. right? That's the, that's the more important part of the blueprint. Yeah, that has primacy. Yeah. And it's important to know that there's nothing wrong with that. It's just important to know that. I I say this not as someone who claims to know the feelings. I say it as someone who deals with people day in, day out, where the elephant in the room mm. is. Because it's so easy for me to be like, hey, 
drop this guy. This is not, this is not the right situation for you. This person's not treating you well. Or why would you entertain a person like this? Or I need you to calm down on the first date <laughs> because what you're communicating right now is, is frightening people. You know, like <laughs> it's easy for me to say all of that, but the elephant in the room is that there is an internal calculation being made that isn't being spoken, for sure. which is I'm freaking out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is, Every, this has been something huge to me for a long time. And if it doesn't happen, the fear, and, I, and by the way, I see people on the other side of it too. When they're no longer in panic, they're just in pain mm. because they go, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. and, I, and especially if they feel like going back to our original point, if I just stayed with someone for seven years. Yeah, so regretful. Who always told me, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe one day kids, but you know, I'm not, I, I don't know if I really want that. And they stayed because of the sunk cost fallacy, because they really like this person, because they put how much they like this person over the goal of having children, whatever it may be, or just the fear that they'd never find somebody else, the scarcity that I'm not, who am I going to find now to go through that whole, you know, knowing each other, getting to a point where I'm comfortable having ch children with this person. When am I going to get to that point again? All of that makes someone stay in it. But then the regret that follows that that person left me after all anyway, or yeah. when it really came down to it and I said, hey, I don't have any more time for you to say you're not sure. And then they say, then I don't want them. It seems like people need to be get really clear. And like one of the things to understand is I think a lot of times people shy away from the hard conversations oh my gosh yeah they shy away from like really from this is what I want yep. you know I really want this do you want and just hold them accountable to that answer and sit there in that answer until until like it's resolved but a lot of times people shy away well because you feel like you're going and I I've I've done that very 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 well in all of my relationships because I felt if I really spoke my true needs, then I would lose the relationship. Yep. Then I would lose the love yeah. when that is actually a beautiful opportunity to see how out of alignment yeah. it is in the present and it will continue to be, you know, to right. just actually come forward with your needs and desires. And if they're, if they, if they, they're, if they're not met in the other person, it's okay. It's, it's kind of like you, you have to get to a point where you're ready for every, for the fallout of that. Yeah. You're mentally equipped for this conversation might mean today is the end of this relationship. Mm -hmm. And people are so not ready for that reality because it takes so much, so much bravery to bring something up and so much acceptance of the paths that could follow for sure. the fallout of that. And it's why... It hurts people in every way, not just with the children argument, it hurts people. I mean, I have people all day long coming to me saying, you know, I just don't know where I stand with him. And it always is it's kind of comical that they think that I have more information about that than he does. Mm. <laughs> that I, I've never met this man. I haven't sat a day in their relationship before. And she's asking me where she stands, but she hasn't asked him. Mm-hmm. But why is she asking me before she's asking him? Because asking him has real consequences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I have that conversation, I might get an answer I don't want to hear. And a lot of people are very good at spending a long time in relationships. Again, I've been there before myself, where we 
don't ask the questions for which we're afraid of of the answers. Mm-hmm. And we don't ask those questions to ourselves. That yeah. was that was the thing that I or we do, but we lie to ourselves, right? Yeah. Like we, even if we ask it, because I asked myself, you know, can you handle this, Ob? When I was in these polyamorous in the polyamorous relationship, can you handle this? And I would lie. I would lie like a politician to myself. <laughs> Absolutely, you can. You know, like psh, Don Miguel Ruiz could. And I'm talking about one of the great spiritual masters of our right. time, right? right. Saying like. And I don't even know if he could. It just was like I went to his experience with him in Mexico, and you know he was talking about it. And it seemed like he right, could. Right. So I was like, well, if this one human being that I've encountered could, then I can as well, and I will. And it's like, but that wasn't true. You know, that wasn't truly like answering honestly. It was as- answering in my most aspirational sense, which there is something noble about that. But it's also a denial. It's bypassing the real reality of our human needs and projecting some, you know, blistering edge outlier hypothesis of what we're capable of, which of course we're capable of pretty much anything. But I think it's really important that, that I mean, obviously you do talk about this in detail and very v- bravely and vulnerably, but I think it's so important that you do because it's, you know, I remember when I first heard about you you know, whether it was from you or or just reading about you and, and the polyamory, I remember thinking, God, I don't, I can't relate because I don't know how I would ever do it. And it's interesting when I hear you talk about it and you're like, there was, um, for me, for you personally, there was like a standard I'd set for myself that was almost an impossible standard. That's so powerful to me because then I feel like, oh, I, like at least there's some part of that I can relate to and i think the danger of the world we live in i suppose it's a different point than the one we're making but the danger of the world we live in is we are comparing ourselves to to so many standards that aren't Constantly. real yeah. everywhere and these kinds of conversations are that are so important because you're like everyone we're all seeing these people out there these gurus or leaders or whatever who if you're modeling that you're actually modeling something that probably doesn't even exist for them right because we're just seeing what their public you know seeing what's out there in the public eye and what they're showing but unless we're like unless you know the only people that know that truth and i love don miguel ruiz and everything he's taught but the only people who know the truth of it are the people who've been having sex with them if his penis is not inside you you have no idea what the situation (laughs) actually is i don't suppose i'll ever have any idea (laughs) (laughs) exactly you don't really know like you don't really know if that's even a real thing right you know what i mean and so i think all yeah like you said all too often we're making these assumptions and it is good to be aspirational it is Mm -hmm. good to use them as like models to follow Mm. you know but nonetheless the expectations that come with that like i should be able to do this it really takes a an honest and kind and forgiving and compassionate assessment of your real feelings and your real needs what do you think it takes for someone to be more honest with themselves so that they're not conning themselves. You know, you talk about it with the polyamory, you talk about it in past relationships where you stayed in for a long time, conning yourself into thinking that you should have been doing more or that it was the right thing. What do you think is the key to breaking the cycle of lying to yourself? I mean, for me, sadly, it had to get bad enough that I would feel fed up. However, the tools that I use, like I, I think in relationship, like you said before, we can get really lost in it, in the we you know, that that the sovereign you 
is kind of like a second thing that you take seriously and really taking the time. Like I started a journaling practice a long time ago that helped me to be brutally honest with myself always. Like anything I was experiencing that was difficult, I would write about it. I would just be in stillness with myself in nature, in meditation, whatever, and just ask myself those difficult questions because I'm the only one living in my body, in my life. So like I better have an honest relationship with myself. Otherwise, you're always giving your power away to whatever the external circumstances are or what other people want from you. Yeah. In those moments when you're journaling, when you're writing about your own thoughts and feelings, do you have a mechanism, and you know we've talked about this, for knowing what parts of you you can trust? Mm. You know, Because our gut, is, it's a very easy thing when we say trust your instincts or trust your gut or whatever, yeah. but you, it can be hard to discern. Well, firstly, it, I actually think instincts is a dangerous word. I prefer gut, if anything, because instincts is like in boxing, your instinct, when someone throws a punch at you, your instinct, if you ask people, what's the instinct when someone throws a punch, they say blocking. You're like, no, it's not. The instinct (laughs) is blinking. (laughs) (laughs) And blinking's the worst possible instinct you can have when someone's throwing a punch. Let me go blind in the very moment where I need to be able to see what's happening. (laughs) So So that's instinct. Instinct can get you killed. Mm -hmm. Your gut, you, you, one would hope there is some kind of deeper truth to what you're sensing but how do you know what's truly your gut so you can trust it there's a really good prompt that actually came from a former partner of mine that i'm I'm really grateful for um he he told it to me when we were friends he said what is the loving thing to do right now Hmm. and asking that question you can't be inauthentic about it. So that might be the most loving thing for me to do is to leave the relationship. Is and is to that, come, do, you, do you qualify that as the most loving thing I can do for myself or for the other person? It, I, I would typically direct it at myself. Right. Sometimes another, it, it, it would kind of depend on the situation, mm-hmm. but it I It has think, to include the self yeah. because you can delude yourself. I think that's another common delusion is mm. we think that we're loving somebody by staying with them, yeah. which is enabling them to be yeah. stuck in a situation that doesn't work. Well, I don't want to hurt them yeah. by leaving them. Oh, so you're going to draw it out and yeah. suck out more of their time where they're unfulfilled and they know that you're about to leave and they're stuck yeah. in this bardo where they're where they know it's not right and you're just going to you think you're doing them a favor? No, you're not. You're doing yourself a favor because you don't want to deal with the guilt of fucking leaving them so have some courage and do what's right like that's loving from the divine perspective but all the time we get confused too often with this coddling devouring mother kind of love of like Mm. well i'm loving them by staying with them and i don't know what would happen to them if i if i left good maybe they need to hit fucking rock bottom maybe instead of prostrating your body so every time they're doing jumping jacks they're not landing with their precious little footsies on the hard gravel but they're landing on your flesh instead that's not helping them yeah. you know it's not that's helping so them at all true. that's a that's a lot of um a lot of what i had to work through in myself i've always had difficulty ending relationships because i feel i can feel other people's experience so much so withdrawing my love in that way feels horrifying and you know what i would have to move through in myself is the tremendous guilt and shame that i would feel but the recognition that's really important is that has everything to do with you and you it's not really about you and the other person like my own guilt my own shame that's a me and me relationship you know so like he just said you are making it easier on yourself by staying because you would feel tremendous guilt 
or shame or, or, or pain around their, you know, trying to coddle their pain. But it's like, it's, it's just subjecting yourself to more of the, all the same chaos. And it's justified logically by the pain that they will feel in the moment, but it's kind of a nearsighted empathy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? You're not taking a longer approach to empathy where you're saying yeah. what, what's best for this person over the long term. It's just how hurt are they going to be today? And how horrible is that going to make me feel? Yeah. That I don't want them to experience this hurt. And I also don't want to experience the hurt of hurting for someone that badly. And so everything becomes kind of nearsighted yeah. in that way. I'm always encouraged by how much people do actually move on. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I'm always, it's, that's the shocking thing to me is how you can really think you're going to die. And then you don't. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes a memory and it becomes something you can talk about with some sense of indifference. Mm-hmm. Uh, or casually as we do right here, you can sort of analyze it from a distance. And that I think is any, that's so easy to say when you're removed from it, when you're in it, it feels like it's never going to end. And I think it's worth mentioning for anyone who's watching this, who, who's in the, they're in the suck of deep, deep pain right now of something having just ended that all it, it does, you do move on from that. Yeah. It and, does, you can't sustain that pain forever. And there's a cycle of rebirth yep. into becoming a new version of yourself. And something that uh, something I would love to offer for the same people or anyone listening that it, a healer helped me work through tremendously um, coming out of my last relationship is the most loving thing to do for everyone is being in truth and being honest with yourself. Like mm. you might think it might be the most painful thing that you're subjecting them to to by telling them the truth that, you know, the relationship really doesn't align for me and, and I'm going to move on. And it is painful, but it's the most loving thing you can do because it's truth. Otherwise you're sitting in misery and dishonesty with people. A lover's decency is the absence of strategy. Mm. That's a modification of something Chogyam Trumpa said, but I think it's true. Like if you have strategy, that's manipulation that's black magic like your decency is the absence of strategy and the only thing that's the absence of strategy is truth and i think that's like a really important guidepost but it is scary it is scary to tell the to tell the truth without strategy without putting a little english on the cue ball when you spin it to them and particularly if you're habituated to not do that it's really hard to tell the truth yes (laughs) yeah and i think yeah, there's, I mean, there's all sorts of philosophical <laughs> arguments on what how much truth is. Like, I, I know people, the Sam Harris argument is against lying altogether. It's, you know, very much telling the truth at, at all times, no matter what, that kind of radical honesty. Forgive me, Sam Harris, if I've misquoted you there. But he, <laughs> he wrote a book called Lying, I think, which was on that argument, which I I find to be extraordinarily difficult to to practice lying uh not lying not lying, not lying. The, 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 the blistering uh, platonic 100 uh, percent truth at all white. times you know someone buys you a gift and you say i don't like this jacket <laughs> 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 there are times where it seems un, uh, unnecessary to be overly truthful but i um what were you thinking I, yeah <laughs> i'm not gonna wear this ever <laughs> i I do think, though, we've stumbled on something that can answer at least in part the uh, the original conundrum, which is what do you what do you do when you're unsure, or how sure do you need to be, and so on. And I do think part of the clarifying question is: 
not remaining in something where you can't give someone the gift of your full trying, mm -hmm. where you can't really go all in and give everything you can, which isn't quite, I don't think the same thing as thinking this person is everything you ever wanted. I, I think it's just, you have to be able to make a decision to say, I'm going to give my all. Yeah. And if you don't feel you can get to that place, which is, I don't think a place that's easy to think your way into. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's easy to go around in circles going, but what's great about this person? Mm -hmm. Why should I give my all? I, it's a hard place to logic yourself into. I think sometimes you have a realization. Sadly, sometimes you give someone up and then realize, I want to give my all, right? So that happens too. But I, I think it's a very difficult thing to, to logic yourself some into. Some of that is just like, some of that is just psychology though. Right. I just lost it. Now I, I need it back. I just lost it. Now I, I never knew how much right. I loved There's it. There's an immature, you know? childish version of sure. that for sure. Mm -hmm. But I do think we owe the person that we're with the full expression of what we can be. Yeah. And who we can be and what we can give. And if we can't give that, then we are doing that person a disservice because we're keeping them around when someone else For sure. will be willing to give a hundred percent while we're giving our seventy. Or or and also I I that really, really truly lands for me. That was really beautiful. And also, you know, if you're not there, just being authentic about it. Yeah. Well that's the the crazy thing is someone doesn't know that we're giving 70% necessarily. They mm. may know something it, it, like they feel insecure and not know why. And that's really sad as well is when in a relationship, someone is feeling anxious. You know, people have the attachment style theory in their mind, right? Which I find interesting as a heuristic, but I also, it, it kind of, we, we move between attachment styles depending yeah. on what's going on. And mm -hmm. someone could find themselves, I'm an anxious attachment style. I'm anxious all the time. They don't realize that they're in a situation where they're like, I my the house two doors down from me just got robbed, right? Literally two nights ago. They they broke in, the couple were away on holiday and they watched on camera as two people broke into their house and, and raided the place. Damn. I got told this the same night. It was the first night. That was, that was at like 8.30. That night I set the alarm in my house. I never set the alarm in my house. I went to bed and I'm like, well, there's just, there's three police cars and a bird above our house. I'm going to like set the alarm tonight. That's not, I'm an anxious person. Yeah. That's yeah. something triggered a different kind of anxiety here. And in a relationship, it's much more subtle than the house two doors down just got burgled. It's, you have this sense that something's off or this sense that, you don't feel fully loved, this sense that you don't feel safe. And that I think is what is really insidious about it is that someone, we often lie and tell someone we're trying. They're like, why didn't you call today? Or why didn't you, what do you, I was so busy. I was this, I was that. You come up with all these reasons why, but you know, deep down, if you really explored it, you'd know, if I was really trying, I would have called today. Mm -hmm. Why didn't I call today? But you don't tell them that. Yeah. There's also a there's a part of it that sometimes we do just feel so busy and so overwhelmed and when that relationship isn't a priority, we don't even want to tell the truth because the truth would require a lot of energy and a lot of conversation. Oh yeah. So we just keep putting yeah. it off, maybe even not for any other than a petty selfish reason like yeah. fuck I just got so much to do I can't deal with this right now. So I'll just lie in the meantime, put this off down to a later date, but you can continually convince yourself 
that there's never the right time to engage with yeah. that kind of energetic cost of a conversation. It's the, I can't afford for this to break today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. But that's, but again, it's, it is, it's almost a misunderstanding of energy that we all do, right. which is, which is I'm, I'm overvaluing how much, how disruptive this may be to break today. Mm-hmm. And I'm undervaluing how much energy is being lost every day in me just fighting myself. Mm-hmm. Not sure. Should I do this? Should I do that? Am I happy? Am I not happy? Is this person what I want? Are they what? And then you burn. You're just like, I sometimes there are days where I get really aligned, where I feel. You know, and I still feel like I'm finding that point in my life. I don't feel like I, I'm learning that. And I've, you know, there are times in my life, even recently, where I realize how much of my life I've spent sort of being at odds with myself, fighting myself. And I, there's a sort of melancholy I have on the days where I'm really aligned because I get to the end of the day and I'm like, fuck. That's what I'm capable of. <laughs> yeah, then like, you punish yourself for all the time before. That's what I can before. do when I'm like. You did that last night. I did that last night. <laughs> really? Yeah. I do, that all, I do that all the time. And that's the scary part about recognizing how, what is possible. Because we have to forgive ourselves for everything that we didn't live up to that standard. Mm. And, and all the time that was spent. You know, that's the most, that's the most tragic thing that any of us can look at is, wow, I could have been this happy the whole time. All I had to do was believe in it and do these simple practices, which I knew. Sometimes you just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. You were just totally asleep. And like, really, you can't beat yourself up about that. Yeah. You know, that's kind of foolish to do. We'll, we'll still do it. But it's really looking back, knowing that you knew better and still didn't, and then having to forgive yourself. But that is the practice of forgiveness. There is no past. And if you're doing that, you're just drawing all of the emotions and all of the energy from the past into your present, which is extending it into the future and actually yeah. amplifying the same situation. Whereas if you truly forgive yourself, you know, ho'oponopono, back to the zero state of absolute forgiveness, then the past is the past and it's done and your present is always generous and available for you to chart a new way. Do you have a technique or something practical you do to achieve that kind of forgiveness? Because I think a lot of people want to forgive themselves. They want to be able to move on and they really, you know, get lodged in that place of, it becomes like a, yeah, I forgive myself, but then they haven't mm. and it's repeats on them have you what's the most effective way you've found um i do i write to myself i write to myself as if i was talking to a friend in a really loving way i write the things that i want to let go of mm. and a lot of times you know i'll burn the things that i want to let go of and then i write out who i want to become who i want to live how i want to live how i want to be um so it's kind of just like a um just like psychological feedback from like what I'm feeling in my body, what's happening in my mind, writing it down on paper. It's almost like studying, studying yourself. You have to, I think it first becomes with the intellectual understanding that there is absolutely no productivity that comes from that aspect of self-punishment. There's the necessity to learn. And then there's anything else beyond your learning is absolutely counterproductive. So like you understand that intellectually, then you have like, okay, I understand this. There's no reason for this, but you still may be punishing yourself. You still may have not forgiven yourself because you may have a misguided idea that that's what's going to help you learn. And if you punish yourself enough, 
you know, you'll actually learn the lesson the next time. But that's not the case, actually, mm. because then you'll just have more shame and you'll have less recognition of the things that you're doing in the same time because you're going to be afraid of the punishment that you're going to dole out to yourself. So you'll blind yourself to actually what you're doing. Like forgiveness allows you to have awareness. Mm. And so, but as she said, I think one of the best practice, forgiveness is a practice. You're never going to get it all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you just go in one swoop and you get it all. It'd be like trying to clean a, a spilled jar of mayonnaise that's shattered on the ground with one paper towel. Like, you're not going to get it all. There's going to be glass and goo, and yeah. you're going to have to come back with, you know, different soaps and rags and wipes until you really get it all. Mm-hmm. And you may not be able to do that in a day or a time, but you go into that process of forgiveness. I forgive myself for this. I forgive myself for this. I forgive myself for this. And then and go deep with it. Yeah, and like really, really feel deep it, with really it. feel it. And then I think the process, is, it's actually a, a ceremony called the despacho, where you actually then let that go. You either send it down a, a river, tie it to a rock, send it to the ocean, or burn it, you know, and actually let that let that go. So you don't have a whole stack of papers about your forgiveness, which can then remind you of your failures <laughs> to forgive yourself. And then you'd have something else to forgive yourself for. <laughs> that's, a, that's, I think, important for everyone to hear is that it's a practice. And that's the same you know, letting people go is a practice. The, mm-hmm. the idea of having difficult conversations is a practice. I, I honestly think we, we think of too many things as a, as a like, it's a, too many things, parts of life we expect are supposed to be this epiphany moment instead of likening them to a muscle. Mm-hmm. It's like working like, out. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you, the, you know, there's people in, my organization over the years that I kept around way longer than I should have because I was just, you know, it's, it's kind of the same as the breakup thing. Oh, but they do this and they do that. And they, uh, they were, they were nice today or there was this thing today or whatever. Mm. Like you have these moments where it's, you debate yourself instead of taking action. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you learn to like, all right, I felt this, I know this, feeling inside me i know it's legitimate i've felt it for a while let me act on it this relationship i know i've been asking the same question over and over again for a year like if the moment you act on it i i do think there is tremendous frightening as hell the letting go of something and then you've jumped off the cliff and you're like fuck then you have all those feelings did i do the right thing is this you know it's all of that but i do think there is tremendous power in a kind of euphoria, every time you do it, you make Absolutely. a decision, it gets yeah. stronger and stronger. And you make it your practice. Yeah. So here's the dilemma that I think is really is really hard to navigate. So, and again, this is very personal mm. for every situation, but I think it's important that we see the potential of somebody, you know, because if we don't see that potential, they're not gonna, we're not gonna give them the space and the ability so if someone is an alcoholic, if we don't see them in the potential as that sober person, mm-hmm. we're actually denying them the opportunity to do that. Because if we continue to look at them like an alcoholic for their whole, and we never adopt that, then mm-hmm. they're going to look at themselves. We all, it's the looking glass self. I think the sociologist Cooley came up with that. Like we're looking for cues from other people. So whether it's an employee or whether you're someone in an intimate relationship, it's important to see them as their potential self. And that can actually help bring forward that potential. However, therein lies the dilemma because we want to see them in their potential. But if we keep waiting for that and it keeps failing, at what point do we say, look, I I can see it, but it's not happening. 
and it's time this isn't happened this hasn't happened fast enough which then again feels like a judgment you know so it is this it is this bit of a conundrum i i have two answers to that one is that whatever the the gap is which we all have the gap between where we are and what we could be that gap can't be the part that's going to meet your needs once it's there mm. It has to be like the part that that's just you seeing them for what they can be. I know that I see some beauty in you, some possibility in you of what you can be. And I'm excited to tease that out of you. I'm excited to be a champion of that, to stand by you as you work towards that. But those, the part they need to get can't be the part that meets your basic needs. Mm-hmm. in a relationship yeah and and that i think is extremely dangerous when people take on that i call it the one day wager you know the the wager you make that one day this person is going to be what i need not what i would like them to be what i need them to be for me to feel happy and have my needs met in this relationship it's the most dangerous wager anyone can make there's that jacob m broad quote consider how hard it is to change yourself and you'll understand uh what little chance you have of changing anybody else mm-hmm. is to to use the gym idea it's really really hard to go to the gym when we want a nice body and everyone wants a nice body <laughs> everyone everyone would like to have a great body but it's really hard still even wanting it is hard to get to the gym now deal with someone who doesn't even necessarily want the change you want for them Mm. And you get in a real, now it's like the idea that you're going to change that person becomes so remote. So I think that's the first point. Now, that doesn't mean a compassionate approach can't be applied to someone who, let's take the alcoholic example. It's, there's a, a tremendous amount of compassion that's needed for someone to have the champions around them to help them get there. Mm-hmm. But I, I see life as sort of these um, circles you know, each one, like this is your closest, closest unit. And then it's another circle and another circle and another circle. What I find really dangerous is when someone puts someone in a part of the circle, which is only designed for people you can rely on, Mm. people who are there to help to, to meet some of your needs, people you can ask things of, when you put someone who belongs in this circle, in this circle, you're going to be really unhappy. Mm-hmm. So I have people in my life who I love to pieces. I have, I have no problem with them. I love them. I want to help them. I love connecting with them. But I can't have them anywhere near this circle mm-hmm. over here because it will, it will make me tremendously unhappy because I have expectations of people in this mm-hmm. circle. Yeah. It's the person you're going to have an intimate relationship with is almost invariably going to be the person that you have the most expectations of. People are like, why is it so easy to, you know, my relationships, my friends are always great. Well, yeah, because you don't ask for shit from half of them. <laughs> right? Like, it's, I, I think of that all the time. It's like, you know, we met in January and we met this whole group of like, a lot of us didn't know each other. Amazing guys that went to Poland and did the Wim Hof retreat. And we had these amazing bonds. But I'm also, you know, like, I, I, th- I think of this as a model for all relationships. It's like, I don't expect that group of people to show up to my life every day. 
I wouldn't put that kind of pressure on those relationships. I nurture them. I treasure them. I always want to show up where I can. But I also, I recognize that I'm going to put a different kind of pressure on my mom, <laughs> you know, or my brother than I would those people because those things are earned right. over time. And it's, it's really dangerous letting, if you took the intimate relationship example, letting someone into the most intimate circle you have who hasn't earned that, who hasn't, who isn't able to provide that, who isn't giving you that, that is a recipe for being tortured. Mm. So I love, I love everything you had to say to answer that question. And I think it's really, really gives clear guidance. Now, here's the, here's the curveball that yeah. mucks it up a bit. Let's say the person typically is, is exactly that. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, they get really angry or really petulant or really like really in their own shit. Mm. And this is massively disturbing. But then they'll always come out of it and they're back to, you know, the the disposition that really actually works for the inner circle. And then every time you're like, okay, like this doesn't <laughs> this this doesn't work. And they're yeah. like, I agree. Like I journaled about it. I drew the cards from all the mystical decks and I read seven <laughs> books and it's done. And you're like, yeah. cool. And then it happens again. You're like, Ah, the, I read the wrong book and I journaled yeah. the wrong way. And, you know, the, so you just keep having a different changing set of circumstances or this happened because of this or, oh, it was, you know, I had some stress going on. There's always a reason why this aberrant thing, which becomes a pattern, but you can't necessarily tell it's a pattern because the circumstances aren't identical. But then ultimately it doesn't make it work. Like that's a situation where it's hard to know when to go like, I give up on you. I give up on your ability to actually calm down this behavior that's intolerable for me. There's a quote that I, I think is falsely attributed to Marilyn Monroe, but um, it's, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best, which I always found to be disturbing <laughs> as an idea because... <laughs> you have there a mandate for the worst kind of behaviors in a relationship right? and an, and a permission for them mm -hmm. because you're great when you're great. You know, I know I beat you last Tuesday, but if you can't handle me at my worst, <laughs> you don't deserve me at my best. <laughs> We can see how dangerous this it's territory a becomes. Slippery fucking slope. That quote is <laughs> so it, you know, I do think that people have to be tolerable at their worst. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be anything good, you know, or they can be wholly unpleasant or whatever. There's a lot we'll make space for. And by the way, to some extent should, if we ever hope to be loved by anybody else. Because mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> we're bringing some shit to the table <laughs> yeah. too. No doubt. But I do think that your worst... You have to ask yourself honestly, can I, can I actually tolerate and, and perhaps even a bit more than tolerate, can I, can I still love this, this version of someone in, in their worst? Because that you, relationships aren't, you know, it's not the great date. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the 
times when it hits the fan. I mean, I've made this analogy before about when I was 13, it's kind of a cheesy analogy, but it's, but it was just true for me when I was 13 or I think the first time my parents took me to Disney world, I was more impressed. The the thing that spoke to me even then was the trash cans in Disney world. I was like fascinated by the trash cans because of course, space mountain is fun. Like it's (laughs) the best, right? Going and riding a big ride and all of the crazy parades and everything. That's amazing. That's obviously amazing. But in Disney, each trash can is designed based on the world that it's in. Mm. You know, the one in 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 uh, Tomorrowland is a futuristic trash can. The one in the Indiana Jones world is like this tiki, you know, <laughs> trash can, whatever. And that impressed me so much <laughs> because I went, they didn't need to design the trash cans. That, you know, that's the... That's vision to me. That's amazing vision. That's detail. And you ride Space Mountain once in a day. You use the trash can maybe 20 times, right? Your experience is more with the trash cans than it is with Space Mountain. (laughs) And that fascinated me because I said someone, someone with a vision cared enough to design the trash cans. You know why people don't fly from Australia or China to go to Six Flags Atlanta? Because they don't care about the details. <laughs> because the details aren't there. It's just a big ride. Mm. People travel from every corner of the earth to go to Disney World. The trash cans. And when I think about relationships, I think about what are the trash cans of your relationship? Because you're going to live a lot of your time in the trash cans. Not the great, the, you know, what's the space mountain of your relationship it's the honeymoon Mm -hmm. it's the great date you went on it's the fail you we went to bora bora that was the greatest (laughs) week ever and people live on on the high of bora bora once five years ago but remember bora bora (laughs) (laughs) remember how great we were right but that's not the relationship is going to be defined by how good you are on a shitty tuesday Mm mm-hmm is that a person you want to spend time with on a shitty Tuesday when, when it's hitting the fan? Yeah. And so I think it's actually, in a sense, more important where things go when they're bad than how good they are when they're good. Yeah. I love it when I have talked to somebody like you and I actually get answers to things that really make sense. <laughs> and I'm like, here's a conundrum. And I'm expecting it fully to continue in my life as a conundrum, conundrum forever. And all of a sudden, like, Actually, yeah, that makes total sense. And now I understand. And that's where the work, that to me is where the, to bring things a little full circle, that's where the work comes in is if you find someone that you're willing, you're like, and it could be some combination of they're awesome and you're in a place in your life where you are actually ready to give the best version of you and to go all in. Because we all have at some point in our lives probably let go of someone awesome doesn't mean they were right for us, but they were awesome. Mm-hmm. So when, when someone being great meets us being ready, now we have real potential. And that to me is, is where a relationship can become extraordinary, not just great, because now you have two people that are actually going to put in the work that makes it extraordinary. And to the potential point that we've been talking about, there was a... Um, Potential is, is, is hugely overrated, I think, in some ways. 
uh, or at least waiting around for potential is is overrated, especially in our love lives where, you know, you got to care about yourself first mm -hmm. because life's not that long. You don't get to do it another 10 times, you know, as far as I know, at least. Mm. So there's a, a story of um, Bukowski was, uh, he went to bed with a prostitute, woke up and she stole his poetry and he was really mad Damn. and hurt and, you know, he was so mad because he didn't care about much. Like he, he said, he literally, he, he, he wrote a poem the next day in this kind of anger where he essentially said, take the money from my jeans, take whatever else is around, but don't take my poetry because I don't know how many more there'll be. <laughs> he said, don't take the poetry. And that, but the poem finishes with the line, and then God crossed his legs and said to himself, that's enough. I've, I've, I've created many poets, um, but too few, not enough poetry, right? I mm -hmm. misquote slightly, but the idea is enough poets, not enough poetry. Mm. And the implication for that in our love lives is that when you go on a date with someone and you're all excited and I, you know, why do people get nervous on a date? Why do people, why are you so nervous? We're so nervous. Like, oh my God, I don't want it to go wrong. I really like this person. Based on what? What you're, you, you've put the poet on a pedestal mm. when there's no poetry. Yeah. The poetry is too, is what you're doing now. Too many lovers, not enough love. Right. Mm. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. You're creating poetry. You're actually writing a story now. Like you're doing it. That's real. The someone who, you know, gives a great date. Because by the way, our narcissism will make us give a great date. Right? That's just you, so me true. saying, I want you to tell me how great I am after so this date. <laughs> so Hello, LA. Right? So it's, it, that's, that's just the poet. But the poetry is someone trying. Mm. The, the poetry is, is the, the realization of the potential of a relationship. And I, I look at that as a kind of unifying model for everything. Where you, why do we get so heartbroken? In a way, we're still overvaluing the poet. Because mm -hmm. if we were valuing the poetry, we'd realize the, the writing stopped. Mm -hmm. This person doesn't want to be with us. The poetry's not there. Yeah. Well, on that note, that is the, that is the, that is the guide star. That is the guide star. Is it still producing poetry? Mm. Is it still producing poetry in your life? in some ways it's still drawing those emotions from you is it still inspiring you is it still challenging you in a productive way that's not you know reiterative of everything that you've already been through you know like is it still creating poetry and then poetry mm -hmm. can come from a variety of different sources it's not all just the good emotions but is there poetry still in it is you know writing the same you know boring you know trite piece of piece of stringing the same words together that's not poetry that's redundant you know right. and it's you're plagiarizing yourself mm -hmm. if you're in the same situation so are you still creating poetry mm -hmm. and uh, and i think that's the question for everybody to answer i love that this was fun guys <laughs> was i so love that fun. we did this thanks for making this happen <laughs> fuck yeah man fuck yeah uh you got stuff going on tell people what's going on i think it just come I, i'm on instagram at the matthew hussey so come follow me there and we have programs we have free videos every week if you just want to follow me and watch free videos you can do that if you want to take a bigger program i have 
everything from uh, online programs to memberships to a virtual retreat now that you can come and join. Yeah. So just come and get in, you know, come follow us and see what we have to say. And do you have everybody on like a little mini TV screen, like Tony Robbins and a giant full, full 360, you know, <laughs> plat studio platform? We don't, <laughs> we don't have, his looks like the end of the Matrix 3. Yes. <laughs> you know, he's God in the middle of his <laughs> life is, is surrounding him. It's 360. No, I, ours is slightly more <laughs> modest in, in technical capability, but uh, no less heart. Yeah, no doubt. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. And Peace. so great to be with you, Violana, as well. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like being here. I'm a podcaster now. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for tuning into this show with Matthew Hussey and Vailana. Make sure you check out Vailana's music. Her Spotify artist name is Vailana, V-Y-L-A-N-A. We love you guys so much, and we'll see you next week.